and I can't remember if I've talked about this on the show before, that the way you're looking at me indicates I haven't. Welcome back to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, publishing, parenthood, and marriage. I am Barry Liga. With me, as I can't say always, as usual, <laughs> is my co-host and my spouse and the mother of my child-to-be and my child that has already come, Morgan Baden. <laughs> Hi. Hi. How are you feeling? I'm okay. You're like I'm, super pregnant I'm still. I'm super pregnant. Still no baby. Yeah. Just before he hit record on the session, listeners... Barry was like, are you comfortable? And I said, no, but I'm only going to be comfortable if I'm laying down in bed with my big pregnancy pillow surrounding me. <laughs> and he thought for a second and said, I can do that. We can record from my iPad. I can set this up. And I was like, no, stop. Thank you. Yeah. I'm just trying to help. Thank you. It's one of the few things I can do. <laughs> I am in the deeply uncomfortable phase of pregnancy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm not even like a cute pregnant woman anymore. No, I'm just a, a whale. <laughs> oh, I don't think that's true at all. But okay. So uh, we, we need to do a little bit of follow-up yeah, uh, we this do. week. We got some comments on, on last week's episode. Which we love. Which we love. So keep, keep sending them. Um, Denise got in touch with us and wanted to talk a little bit about the, uh, the, what we discussed last week, which was the issue of ebook sales going down mm-hmm. uh, sort of precipitously uh, in, in adult publishing. And, and I, I just want to say first, too, sure. um, my mom's name is Denise, so I automatically have warm feelings toward this Denise commenter. <laughs> there you go. Who is not my mother. Um, we think. No, we, we know. We know she's not your mother. Anyway, so Denise, if I sound overly chummy, it's because of your name. There you go. Uh, Denise cites uh, the Creative Pen podcast. Apparently, there's another podcast. How dare there be another podcast? I had no idea. I thought we were the only one. Uh, and Joanna Penn, get it, get it, Creative Pen, Joanna Penn, um, talked about ebook sales going down. And uh, th- there's some citations that Denise makes uh, to various episodes of Creative Pen. We will put links to these citations in the show notes uh, so that people can listen for themselves. But basically, uh, uh, Joanna's theory seems to be that uh, a lot of ebooks don't have ISBNs, hmm. and a lot of the sales reporting in the book industry is keyed off of ISBNs. So, therefore, in particular, small and independent publishers and self publishers may not have ISBNs associated with their ebooks, and then as a result, those are not being captured um, in 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 the sales figures that we were talking about last week. So, I I, I think that's interesting. Um, as, as a college professor of mine said, it's interesting, but not compelling Mm. to me. Uh, and the reason why is, you know, the, the big five publishers are called the big five publishers for a reason. They sell most of the books. And I think that, you know, even if an independent press or a small press or a self-publisher sees their ebook sales going up, I'm not sure that the numbers there are big enough to offset the losses from at, the big five. At the big five. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, I don't have access to all these numbers. You know, as far as I know, pretty much nobody does. Yeah. Um, but but there's that, first of all. Second of all, whether an item has an ISBN or not, if it's an ebook, somebody's tracking its sales. Amazon can tell you to to the copy how many copies of an ebook has, has sold, whether it has an ISBN or not. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that information is captured by whoever did this report, I don't know. Uh, so, so for a couple of reasons, I'm not entirely convinced that i mean it might be that ebooks didn't go down quite as far as we cited last week but i think we can still safely assume that overall sales are down yeah i can say anecdotally i was recently having a conversation with an 
an author. She's a romance writer. And um, she was saying that some of her print sales are down. Okay. Um, and that seems to be the case across the romance genre as well. But of course, that's because romance ebooks are hugely up. Right. And, but uh, I shouldn't say and, I should say but, but a large part of that increase seems to be um, the 99 cent or dollar 99 ebooks that go up that are, that authors are publishing independently almost at the rate of one every other month. Yeah. Which, as she says, print writers just can't compete with. Like, yeah. the, you just can't do that. So, um, so I do think anecdotally, uh, that rise, that, that, that fact that there are ebooks that aren't being tracked because of a lack of ISBN, um, seems real to me and seems very valid. Oh, I'm sure. But yeah, I don't know about the number. Yeah. I, I don't know that it materially impacts the overall trend. Yeah. Um, and you know, just, just to digress for a moment and just talk about ebooks generally, um, you know, the, this sort of information that, you know, small and independent and self-publishers are seeing a big rise in ebook sales and, and are seeing a lot of success that way, that's oftentimes used as a knock against the big publishers. Right. Um, typically the knock is that they're charging too much for ebooks and, uh, and their, their sales are going down as a result. Um, you know, I, I actually took a quick look before we, before we started recording at my ebooks. And for the most part, my ebooks are pretty cheap. So I don't know why people are What's where, cheap? where people are complaining. I mean, you know, boy toys down at around five ninety nine. Okay. Uh, you know, certainly less than the paperback. Yeah. Um, they're all less than the hardcover. Um, some might be the same as the paperback or a dollar more than the paperback. Um, I don't see that as a problem. Uh, you know, you're getting it sooner than you can get the paperback, and it's still cheaper than the hardcover. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've talked before about the fact that. Uh, I, I do read ebooks, of course. I tend to wait for an ebook to go on sale before I buy it because a lot right. of them, uh, particularly a lot of new and recent releases, will have those $1.99 flash sales occasionally. Yeah, we talked about that last week. Right, yeah. yeah. And so I tend to wait. Um, and what I what I think I'm doing is there are books that I'll buy for $1.99 in ebook format that I would never buy in print format because I don't think they look compelling enough to me. Right. And I'm wondering if we're going to start approaching this idea that um, ebooks are uh, mean less than printed books. Right. They're more disposable. More disposable, yeah. And I, I don't want that to be the case for me or for anyone else. But I'm wondering if that's – am I doing that subconsciously? Like I'm willing to spend $1.99 or $2.99 on an ebook, but I would never spend $9.99 on an ebook because to me – are, am I subconsciously viewing them as disposable, right. like light fluff that I'm not going to get a lot out of? Right. And and that sort of harkens to, to what I was about to get into, which was sort of the, the rap against the big five publishers and sort of the perceived uh, superiority of the smaller publishers in terms of being more nimble with ebooks mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. And, you know, it, sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, don't don't send hate mail, but sometimes you get what you pay for. Right, right, uh, you yeah. You know, I recently read a book that was published by a very small press, um, predominantly as an ebook, although it was also available in print, but most of its sales came via ebook. And I have to say, um, this author was not particularly well served by the publisher because there were typos and mistakes throughout the book. I have to say, the last independent ebook I bought by, like, who self published, I should say, yeah. not indie. Um, and I know for a fact this person hired 
a copy editor before mm-hmm. posting this book on, online was so riddled with typos that it completely distracted me. Yeah. And I regretted spending the $1.99 on the book. Yeah. So that that's a problem. I mean, yeah. now, you know, any book that is in print, you can find a mistake. In of it. course. Certainly you can find a mistake in any of my books. Uh, you know, when we catch them, we try to fix them for future editions. The uh, the issue is how many and how frequent and yeah. what kind. And this was really distracting. Uh, yeah. And a lot of just, you know. Silly just, stuff, right? Just, yeah. Homonym yeah. mix-ups and, and spelling errors and words missing and things like that. Things that, you know, I mean, there's a reason why, as an author, you give a substantial chunk of your income to the publisher. Right. Um, it's because... There are they, other people doing a lot of labor. They're doing a lot of labor. I mean, they're going over these books five and six times, and they're catching things. And and at some of the smaller presses, I don't want to say all. Again, I don't want to paint with a broad brush here. But in some instances, they're not going over it as well. And uh, that that's not great. And there may be some people out there who are saying, I don't care. You know, I was going to say, there's probably if, a lot if, of if readers Yeah, if who it's don't only going to cost me a buck ninety nine, yeah. I don't care if there's typos. There's readers care. who are reading for... For the narrative arc, right, and for the price, and not for uh, any copy of the language, right? Yeah, yeah, and more power to them. Yeah. But it, yeah. it bothers me as a reader, but also as an author. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine any author would be sort of horrified to find that there were substantial and significant errors in a book that he or she released to the public. So. Yeah. Uh, that's something to think about. But anyway, that, that's a little far afield. Denise, thank you so much for uh, sending us this. Again, we'll put links to Joanna Penn's podcast in the show notes. People can take a listen and, and decide for themselves. Um, she also, by the way, points out that, like you, she was a big fan of the uh, X-Files yes. marathon yes. that uh, you liked. So. On th- the Thanksgiving Day marathons. Yeah. So moving on to our next bit of follow-up, Eugene got in touch with us. Um, to talk about what we had discussed last week, which was the idea of, of, uh, when are you taking a break and when are you just being lazy? When are you honoring your need for a brief respite? And when are you just slacking off? Yes. <laughs> um, and, and he liked my comment that a writer at rest tends to remain at rest. Um, which now I feel bad about. Why? <laughs> well, because he talks about, you know, the constant pressures of deadlines, full-time job, parenting. Um, and he needs, you know, a recharge period of, as he puts it, reading, watching, and playing. And he says, but his deadlines force him to keep working anyway. And he thinks, he says, you know, this is, he says, fortunately, the deadlines keep him going. <laughs> I, you know, when I said a writer at rest tends to stay at rest, that, that didn't mean you can never stop. <laughs> uh, that's just not sustainable. And particularly for, for Eugene, who is a parent and, uh, and has a full-time job, like, that's really tough yeah. to to keep to stay on that writing treadmill um, when you've got those things going on as well. Um, so Eugene, it's okay to take some time off, <laughs> but don't um, just just don't let it become an extended thing. Yeah, uh, you can do like me, like like Morgan. <laughs> don't be like Morgan, Eugene. Um, you know, there, there's something I used to do called the reverse deadline. And I can't remember if I've talked about this on the show before. The, the way you're looking at me indicates I haven't. Yeah, but that's my pregnancy brain talking. That's true. You can't remember I don't remember a damn thing. Anything. Uh, the reverse deadline is where instead of giving yourself a deadline by which something has to be finished, you, you give yourself a deadline by which you have to start it. Ah. And you don't allow yourself to start it until, until that then. deadline. Nice. And a lot of times what happens is once you have told yourself, I'm not allowed to work on X until this day you find all you want to do is work on x yeah 
So you're psyching yourself well, out. Well, I hope that's what you find. Yeah. And then by the time you start working on it, you've got all this energy built up and all this desire built up and you just jump into it and you, and you really kick ass. So maybe give that a shot, Eugene. Give yourself <laughs> a reverse deadline of a week in the future or two weeks in the future. Uh, but no, downtime, downtime can be really important. Um, and, you know, it can keep you from burning out. I mean, I know whereof I speak. I burned yeah. out a few years ago and, and it was crazy and, and not fun at all. So don't, don't do that to yourself. He also, um, he also says that he hopes we can continue the podcast after uh, child number two is born and uh, that he's been thinking about having another child and that he hopes that we will offer some guidance and reassurance when no, the time comes. No we, promises. We, we, we got nothing, man. We got nothing. We, we may vanish into the black hole of the universe when the second kid is born. Um, but uh, we, we plan to try. Yes. We, we definitely plan to try. Yeah. Um, but given what he said about, about needing a break, being afraid to take a break, and what I said about writer at rest and all that stuff – you, the other day, yeah. said something to me. You said, out of the blue, that... That I'm feeling the stirrings again to write. I don't think I said it like that. Are you sure it wasn't the baby kicking? <laughs> Maybe it was. <laughs> he is a little kick monster. Um, no, but it's it's one of those things where, you know, a month, two months, three months ago, any, any writing I was doing felt very forced. Right. And... Um, and I wasn't enjoying it. And I, again, it, it felt like homework that I had to do and, um, was just sort of going through the motions. Yeah. And so I stopped and now, uh, over the past week or so, I've been feeling, feeling a rebirth of sorts. So no pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. No, certainly not. So that's really exciting. First of all, because I was worried for a long time that it just wasn't going to happen again, Right. that it was gone forever. Um, Second of all, I'm also still being realistic about this because I, even though I've been feeling the stirrings now for a couple of days, I haven't done anything. Uh, although it's been a, a holiday weekend, but <laughs> um, but no, I think I'm I, I'm excited. Good. I, like for the first time in I don't know four or five four or five months at least, I'm feeling like ooh, I'm going to start writing soon. Now you'd been working on a project, yeah, that you were a excited about. Book. You were mm-hmm. excited about at the time. And then you stopped working on it because, again, pregnant. Um, and then a little while later, you said you weren't quite sure about that project anymore. I'm not anymore. sure, yeah. And so now what are you thinking? Are you thinking something new? Or are you I, thinking about going back to I, that? I really don't know. I think what I'll have to do is spend a day or two with the current project and see how it feels. Yeah. Um, it, I, I had said this to you at the time that I stopped working on it actively, uh, which was it, it doesn't feel like there's anything magical about it. Uh, I, it's fully outlined. I'm. I that think might I'm, be why it doesn't. Feel that magical. maybe that is why because I have literally never done a full outline because before like this. You've got the whole thing laid out in front of you, so it, uh-huh. it might be that you just feel like you're kind of filling in the blanks. I was going to say there doesn't seem to be this sense of discovery. Yeah. As I'm writing, which is part of the reason that I write. Yeah. So, um, so maybe I'm learning that I can't have an outline. Like See, this. kids, outlines kill writing. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, but. I, it's an e. I'm going to say this, and people are going to laugh at me, and I'm going to laugh at me in in a month when I'm back to writing it. But it feels like an easy project, and maybe that's why I should stick with it. Uh. Um, and by easy, I just mean because it's a chapter book, it feels manageable. 
Well, and you've already done so much work because exactly. you've outlined the whole thing. I've outlined the whole thing, and I, I think I'm on chapter four or five yeah. out of like 11. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm almost done, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think what I'll do is spend a couple of days with that. Um, obviously, rereading it, working on it some more, maybe rewriting the first four or five chapters that I have already to infuse some of that excitement that I'm feeling. Right. You know what I mean? And then take it from there. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I'm sort of cautiously optimistic about this whole writing endeavor. <laughs> well, that's good because you're on a podcast about it. So moving on from that, um, you know, the, we talked in the past couple of episodes about the election and its ramifications and the fallout of it. And one of the things, though, that, that we never talked about was apparently this election killed reading. <laughs> this is a fascinating <laughs> This is thing. really interesting. Uh, Barnes & Noble... Um, there, there's a report in Buzzfeed that Barnes and Noble is saying that people stopped buying and reading books because of the election. Mm -hmm. um, like in the run up, right, right. In the run up to the election, not in the aftermath of the election, but in the run up to it, apparently people were so obsessed with the election and just following it constantly on TV that they did not have time to read mm -hmm. and they stopped buying books and they have numbers that they say prove this. It's really interesting. <laughs> um, do you think it's true? You like, know, I mean, from your own perspective? Just, I mean, thinking about it from my own perspective, I mean, yeah, I've read very few books this year compared to how many books I normally read mm -hmm. in a year. And thinking back on it, I'm like, you know, I was still reading a lot, but it was all political articles online. Yeah. You know, it was all, you know, all the nonsense and noise that, that an election kicks up, but amped up to the nth degree because mm -hmm. of what this year's election was yeah and you're spending so much time doing that that yeah you you don't you know like instead of getting into bed at night and reading a few chapters of a book i'd get into bed and read you know summaries of what had happened right. that day in yeah. the election um so for me yeah I, I think it's probably true and i never really thought about it mm -hmm. or made that connection yeah um we'll put a link to the to the buzzfeed article in the show notes what, what do you think of this yeah i do you know i'm thinking about the fact that since the election you and i have not watched the news because it's all garbage is that's the that's the position i'm taking these well, days they were wrong about everything yeah. <laughs> so i mean why should no, i watch them I, anymore but, but like truly because i i do believe that the media has a lot of culpability here and um and so i'm very angry with the media at large and when i think about the amount of time that we were spending with the news on yeah. during the election i mean think about de debate nights we yep. were up till midnight yep. not reading but watching and, and live tweeting and obviously those are gone. And even just on a, like every night, we had the news on for at least some segment of the night. And we talked about this again last week. But since the election, we've been going to bed early and reading in bed. Yeah. Just to save our own sanity. So I fully believe that those numbers are true. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's nothing I'd ever thought of before. But yeah. a very interesting story. Um, I wonder if there's any other um, form of entertainment that either has the same, had the same decline pre-election right. or the opposite. Like where people, well, first of all, post-election, that first weekend, weren't there like box office records broken? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to look that up. I'm pretty we'll sure because everyone up. was like, I, I saw a headline where it was like, everyone went to the movies this weekend because they're so depressed. Yeah. And the, the box huh. office did great. Yeah. So I don't know. That could, I mean, I know Doctor Strange did really, really well. Yeah. Um, and that could be part of it. 
So speaking of the election, one of the... Uh, Do we have to? One of the people in the election was a woman named Hillary Clinton. You mean the woman who won? And she wrote a book called It Takes a Village. And uh, I was thinking about that because of something you said to me earlier uh-huh. uh, with regards to parenting. Yeah. And it sort of ties into It Takes a Village in a way, yeah. in, in, in an oblique way. And it was basically this this theory that you have that you it's impossible to be a parent unless you have other parents around you with whom you can occasionally decompress, de-stress. Yeah. Not uh, impossible, difficult. Difficult, yeah. okay. I think, um, you know, this is coming from the fact that I have a, a friend who's a new parent, and I'm a little worried that she's very isolated yeah. due to some circumstances in her life right now. And we just came back from hanging out with some friends today, two other sets of parents with their kids right around our daughter's age. They had a blast. We had a nice time. We ordered in food. There was very little crying. Very little. There was some, you know, ripping of toys from each other's hands. Yeah. But but um, the kids were fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, but really. God, that was such a lame joke. <laughs> anyway, no, but I came home and I was really, we only spent like three hours there. But I just found myself feeling very grateful for uh, the community of parents mm-hmm. that we, I feel like we're starting to build up here. In, in our new town. Um, I, I can't remember if I've talked about this before, but when we first had our daughter, I felt, it, to me, that was a very isolating experience, but I think that's partly hormonal. But, you know, there were lots of new mom groups in, in our neighborhood in Brooklyn and lots of things to do, and I could never do them. Like, it, oh, it always felt like too much. Yeah. Um, you joined a new dad group, which was awesome, but... I just think that more and more as we ha- as our kids grow, it just makes your day better to spend time with other parents and have your kid be occupied with their kids and you are getting adult conversation and everything just feels much easier. <laughs> what do you think? First of all, we were not there for three hours. We were there for two hours okay. at the most. Uh, but no, it was it, it's it's good to get out of the house. It's good to break yeah. the routine. I don't like breaking the routine. I'm a, <laughs> a creature of routine. I'm a creature of habit. But um, that doesn't mean I don't understand the value yeah. of breaking the routine. Yeah. I do. I just don't like it. I also think in particular this weekend, which was a long holiday weekend. Yeah. So Thursday was Thanksgiving and, and we were with family. But Friday and Saturday and today, Sunday, we didn't have any particular plans other than running a few errands around town and so truthfully by today i felt like oh my gosh i i need some other interaction here you know so maybe it just came at the appropriate time for me but something that i i keep realizing is a we live in a house now b we have friends in this town c we have friends nearby and we can invite them over right and d why don't we do these things i feel like i'm (laughs) i'm caught in such a loop of like at work five days a week, and then the weekends come, and I find myself thinking, oh, good, a moment to breathe. Let's just run some errands. Let's just relax on the couch. Let's not do much of anything. And then by midday Sunday, I'm like, why didn't I make plans with anyone? Like, we should be doing that. You're entitled to chill out. You are. Of course I am. Ridiculously pregnant. I know. but Absurdly pregnant. But I, I guess my point is, I f- this is going to sound so stupid, but I forget. Like, I, yeah. I'm so, my mind is so filled up with other things right now that I forget that I should be making time to hang out with friends. So there's that. And friends. This- Do you need me to d- define what that is? 
No, no. Um, I recently had a firmware upgrade, and I now <laughs> so understand, understand the concept of friendship. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you so much for that condescending comment. So what have you been reading lately? Or what do you recommend? Um, what have I been reading lately? Well, I just finished a, a middle grade book. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Oh, do you so know I don't. I don't want to talk is? about okay. it. Yeah, but... But thank you. No, no, no. Um, I think it was good. It's one of those books that I know. For, I know logically that it that that it was a well written, innovative, good book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't love it, and so sometimes I, I can't figure out how to bridge that disconnect there between something that I know is is factually a very strong book award-winning, et cetera. Yeah. But I didn't get a sense of joy from it the way that I do from some other books. So Okay. That's too bad. Yeah. And I know you loved the book. Oh, okay. Now yeah. I know the book. Yeah. 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 You're wrong. <laughs> How about you? Great book. Uh, you know, I was uh, down in the basement recently, uh, moving some things around, getting Christmas decorations, and I came upon a pile of graphic novels I'd forgotten was down there. Ah. And on top was a book I completely forgot I owned. Okay. Uh, I had read it when it came out as individual comics back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I had this this uh, collected edition of the first five issues um, that I forgot I had. And so I pulled it out and I read it the other day. And it's just as good as I remember it being. I really enjoyed it. And uh, there's going to be an omnibus edition in January that will collect the entire series, nice. all 15 issues, which I haven't seen, again, since the 90s. So yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. And the, the graphic novel is titled Seekers into the Mystery, uh, by, uh, written by J.M. DeMattis with art by uh, a couple different people. One of them, uh, John J. Muth, does some of the artwork. Huh. Uh, I'm familiar. Yes. And, and it's just really good and it's fun. And, and, and it was a big influence on me back in the day um, because there's a moment that the main character is a screenwriter and there's a moment where he's remembering how his, his creative writing professor in college chewed him out um, talking about how, you know, you, you take yourself and your work so seriously, you have no whimsy mm. in your work. There's no humor in your work. And, uh, and, and at the time, you know, in the nineties when I was reading this, I was like, oh, oh my God, like that's me. Like I take my work so ah. seriously. Like I don't, I don't, I have nothing in there that's, that's actually entertaining. Okay. And, and so that, that was sort of eye opening for me, but it, it, it's a, it's a really cool, interesting uh, comic book series. And again, there's going to be this omnibus edition in January that uh, collects the entire series. So I'm really looking forward to that. So speaking of graphic novels, do you think we still need that term? Uh, graphic novel is a terrible term. Um, <laughs> It's an absolutely terrible term. Alan Moore once said um, that that it was a marketing term that people came up with because they realized they could charge more money for it. <laughs> and I think he's right. You know, b- back in the day when I had a job, when I worked in the comic book industry, one of the things I did, I was on a committee that was made up of some people in comics and some people from the Maryland State Department of Education. And we were working on a program that would have made comic books an official part of the curriculum okay. in the state of Maryland. And the, uh, the, the State Department people, the people in the Department of Education, were always caught up on what do we call these things. Mm. You know, graphic novel you know, doesn't really work or make sense. And they would spend all this time in every meeting trying to come up with another term. And it was very important to them. And I remember I just lost it at one point. And I said, look, guys, 
our industry has been trying to come up with a better term for about 60 years. Yeah. And we haven't. So why don't we just skip over that for now right, and yeah. focus on the actual program here. And if we come up with a better name someday, we'll plug it in. Yeah. Um, no, it's a terrible name. Comic book is a terrible name. It They're is, all yeah. terrible names. Everything, anything that anybody comes up with just doesn't fit every permutation of what a comic book or a graphic novel is. Yeah. You know, the very first graphic novel is commonly believed to be um, A Contract with God by Will Eisner. It's not a novel. It's a collection of short stories. Oh, interesting. But graphic novel was what it took to sell it yeah. to bookstores, so they called it a graphic novel. Yeah. Um, I saw a headline the other day in The Guardian um, where they were arguing this exact point, which is, wh what is a graphic novel? Why are we still using that term? Um, who's it for? Right. Who's it not for? Whatever. So I was curious what your thoughts are. Um, I'm not a huge graphic novel reader. We know that. Um, I recently read a graphic novel that is very critically acclaimed and best-selling and, and I thought it was a fine story, but there's just not enough meat there for me. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm turning the pages so quickly and I, I feel like I'm not appreciating it as an it, art form either. It, it really depends. I mean, the, you know, the very best graphic novels, um, you know, wouldn't work just as pictures or just as words. It has to be the combination of them. <laughs> And you can do really incredibly powerful things with that combination. Um, there's stuff you can do in that format that you can't replicate in any other right. medium. And it's amazing when it happens. In a lot of cases, I think there are some graphic novels out there that are graphic novels just because that's what the person decided they wanted to do. It's not because that story is best served by being mm. a graphic novel. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, I sort of believe that every story has its ideal expression, its ideal medium of expression. Um, you know, a novel that couldn't be done any other way, a movie that couldn't be done any other way or shouldn't be done any other way, and the same thing with a graphic novel. And in some cases, there are graphic novels that should have been movies or should have been short stories. And similarly, there are short stories that should have been movies or graphic novels or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but when you've got a graphic novel that was that could be nothing else that was made to be a graphic novel, man, there is some amazing mm. stuff that that can be done. Okay, I believe you. <laughs> no, really, I do. It's just I'll make yeah. you read them. <laughs> that is it for us this week. We will be back next week. In the meantime, visit us at writinginreallife.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter at WIRL Podcast. And subscribe to us in iTunes and leave us a review. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week. Have a good week, everyone.